0: Welcome to Truth Revealed Ministries, the weekly broadcast from Soul Purpose Evangelical Church in Middletown, New York, with Reverend Albert Feliciano Sr. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised, infallible, and impregnable Word of the Living God. Our prayer is that today's message draws you closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Albert.
1: God has given me a word to share with this house, and I fully intend to release this word. Glory to God. I'm gonna tell you now, before we get started, that I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know that you love me too. Praise God. So turn to your neighbor, and say, Don't worry, hallelujah. Everything's gonna be alright. But today we're going to tell the truth, amen, and we're going to shame the devil. Hallelujah, because the truth will set us free. I have a message entitled, Excuse Abuse. Excuse Abuse. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. Amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Beginning at verse number 16, and the word of the Lord says, Then he said to him... Now these are Jesus' words. They're all read in your Bible. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come. For all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to, what? Make Make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. She must have him on lockdown. Man up. Hallelujah. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Hallelujah. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out. Into the highways and hedges, and compel. Turn to your neighbors. Say, compel. compel, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Oh, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Oh. Woo! Hallelujah! Praise God! You may take your seats this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, Don't pass up that invitation. Hallelujah. Don't pass it up. Hallelujah. You don't want to be that guy. Amen. Praise God. Take a deep breath. We're going in. Hallelujah. Put your seatbelts on. Put your scuba deer, a scuba gear on. We're going in. Hallelujah. I love this. The dog, the dog ate my homework. I've used that a few times myself. Hallelujah. Let me talk a little bit about excuses this morning. At one point or another, every single person in this room, including myself, have made excuses. Some of these excuses are very creative and and many are very plausible and credible. Others are downright silly and stupid, but almost all of the time, 100%, they're mostly all fabricated. We think that an excuse will help us get out of something or that it will shift our responsibility or our accountability onto somebody else, all the while maintaining our innocence and perfection. Because we're all perfect. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then we later come to realize that we've only hurt ourselves. Sometimes we make these excuses not to go to a certain function, not to go to the company party. And then we find out a week later, oh, my God, the company had a profit-sharing party. And everybody received big checks, those that were in attendance. And you're like, man, I missed it. Other times we say, you know what? I'm going to stay at Bedside Baptist this morning or Mattress Methodist Church, or Lazy Lutheran, and I'm just going to stay home. Hallelujah. And then we find out, oh, my God, church was amazing. There was a little kid that came with a wheelchair, and the Lord rose him up out of the wheelchair, and he carried the wheelchair home. Glory to God. The presence of God was so powerful. It was amazing. You missed it. And then we say, yeah, but now we got to keep the excuse. We got to keep the lie. We say, yeah, but I really was sick. I really was. (laughs) I really was sick. There are some quotes that I'd like to share. These are pretty good. Excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. That's from Don Wilder. He who excuses himself accuses himself. Gabriel Muirer. How strange to use, quote, you only live once as an excuse to throw it all away. Bill Copeland. Here's one from a guy named Dave Del Dado. No one ever excused his way to success. Stephen Graham says, excuses are the tools with which persons with no purpose in view build for themselves great monuments of nothing. And the last one, the last one, Jonathan Swift, he says, a lie is an excuse that is simply guarded. Saints of God, we can all stop making excuses, and we could today decide in our hearts to man up and woman up and start becoming responsible and accountable for all the things that God expects from us. We can stop making excuses. We can stop telling stories, and we could begin to abide in the truth. We can do that. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know he's talking about you. Praise God. There are those that make excuses to get out of doing certain things. For example, they'll say, oh, that's an Old Testament law. Oh, that's in the Old Testament. That's not in the New Testament. We're in the season of grace. Hallelujah. But let me tell you a little something, something about the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. During the Old Testament when God dealt with people with fire and brimstone and death, let me tell you, the standard, even though it was high, it wasn't as high as we are today. If you were caught in the act of adultery, you were stoned to death. Key word, caught. You had to be caught. And that in the Old Testament is true for murder, for for all these other things, right? Right? But in the New Testament, Jesus said, if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you are already guilty of adultery. The standard now just went, whoops. And what does Paul say in Romans 6? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Praise God, right? We, We shouldn't continue to do the things that keep us from the presence of God. But what we try to do, and this is why we have to be careful. Saints of God, you need to read your word. Saints of God, you need to discern. You need to know who you are in Christ. So when some charlatan, ravenous wolf comes into the church, and when some brother tries to gossip about the pastor, or some sister tries to murmur and backbite and all this other stuff, you say, whoa, Satan, get thee behind me in Jesus' name. But we need to know the standard is higher. So what we do is we we say, well, you know what? We're in the season of grace. So, so I don't have to do that. That was an Old Testament law. But isn't it funny how we always quote, God has plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Uh-huh. Jeremiah 29:11. That's Old Testament. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23. That's Old Testament. You see, we want all the Old Testament promises, but but when it talks about doing something and and being uh, under obligation or or, or a commitment or a responsibility, we say, oh, no, no, that's Old Testament. We become McDonald's Christian, menu-driven. Oh, I'll take a John 3.16, but I don't want a Galatians 5.16. Can't have that one. That one's too much. That hurts my flesh. But I'm cool with John 3.16. That's all right. I'll even hold up a sign on the football game. We become menu-driven. Why? Because the excuses are running amok. Hallelujah. Once people discover that they could forfeit their responsibility or shift blame and get away with something... They don't have to participate any longer, and I call that excuse abuse. Amen? Are you with me? Hallelujah. I know it's getting thick in here, but we only begun. Hallelujah. I'm going even deeper. Hallelujah. There are so many excuses. I'm too tired. I feel sick today. Oh, I'm broke. I got no money for the car to put gas in my car. Oh, I'm lost. How about this? It's too early to come to church. I I, I need my sleep. Uh, I'm working tonight. Uh, Meanwhile, when it's too early, let me just go there. Because if you were going a great adventure, you'd be up at three in the morning and you have a cooler packed and ice in it. You'd even go to the 24-hour dollar mart and get your sandwiches and and you get all your potato chips and you'd be ready to go. You'd be the first one like a warden at the house. Kids, get up. It's time to go to Mountain Creek. Hallelujah. Kids, get up. Get up. Daddy's taking you to great adventure. Praise God. But when it's time for church, you're like, it's too early. They start at 11 o'clock. It's too early. Why can't they start at 1 o'clock? If the church started at 1, I would go. And thank God the pastors in many churches don't listen to that. Because you know what? Even if we change it to one o'clock, half of the people will be watching football. Hallelujah. Praise God. Turn in there and say, get a DVR. Hallelujah. Man up. Get a DVR. Watch it later. Praise God, like me and my son do. I'm a football fan. I don't miss one game. Hallelujah. But I stay away from social media, I stay away from the newspaper, I stay away from everything. And we watch a 1 o'clock game at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And we don't miss nothing. Praise God. Got to be wise. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know he's talking about you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Excuses. It removes your ability to be blessed. And, 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 you know, sometimes we want to shift it. Well, the doctor says I should stay in bed. Uh, the doctor says I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it's too cold outside. I shouldn't go out. I'll catch a cold. You know, what happens is it, it shifts responsibility somewhere else. And then what happens is it removes the blessing from you. And you become cut off. Let me give you an illustration. There's a guy named Richard Rooney. He's the chief of chaplain services at the VA Medical Center in Marion, Illinois. He reminds pastors that they aren't the only ones who hear excuses about not attending church. As a hospital chaplain, he's heard quite a few of these excuses, and let me share a few of them with you. There's one guy that says, well, I can't go to church because it's snowing outside. I never attend church when it's snowing or when there's bad weather. And meanwhile, the chapel was in the same building three flights up. One lady commented quite seriously, I'm usually always sick on Sunday mornings. One patient told a volunteer, the nurse doesn't want me out of bed uh, uh, to this morning. But as soon as the volunteer began to leave, that same patient asked, listen, if you're going down the hall to the smoking room, can you push me out, please? A favorite one, of his, He said, when a patient said, when I sing, I get nauseated. Therefore, I can't go to church. You see, people, excuses are essentially the sins of omission. What is a sin of omission? The sin of omission is a sin that is the result of not doing something which God's word teaches us that we should do. For example, when we talk about evangelism, only 2% of the body of Christ is actually in the street evangelizing. And 98% of the church body have found different things to do. And, And as a result, not many people are coming to the kingdom of God. And we all understand that we're supposed to go, ye therefore, and make disciples. James 4, 17. It says, therefore, to him... Who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let me talk a little bit about the great banquet. The great banquet, this is a a parable that he shared with the Pharisees. And they had no idea that Jesus was literally talking about them and the Jews. This parable represented the Jewish people and the religious leaders of that day, which, by the way, we have to remember that they are God's chosen holy nation. They are the people of God, and we are to pray for them. But they were the guest of honor at this big banquet, and they chose to reject the invitation, and they began to make excuses. The servant, I would imagine, in this parable is John the Baptist, Amen? And he was the voice in the wilderness. And this banquet represents the marriage supper of the Lamb that one day we will all get to. Glory to God. And this is the place where Jesus Christ himself will be seated at that table. The feast of all feasts. The best feast in all the land. A seven-year party. Hallelujah where you can eat all the Penelicus Maximus that you want and not gain one pound. Hallelujah. That's my definition of the banquet. Hallelujah. Some pateles and a kandules and all that good stuff. Amen. Praise God. The invitations were sent forth, received. They were given and, and received. And, and, you know, I want to start out by, by making an assumption. We have to assume that initially they accepted the invitation because why else would they make the excuse so we assume that they accepted this invitation except something happened life happened instead of attending the feast they gracefully declined something came up it was our best intention to make it to this party but life got in the way life got hectic the dog ate my homework, my car broke down, I'm not feeling well. You know, I I hear this all the time, I'm not feeling well, I can't make it to church, but then on Facebook, they're like, yo, the Avengers was hot, that movie was great. And it just so happened, they went during church time to, you know, it's funny how once you make the excuse, you're right back, back to normal again. Isn't it a wonder how Hollywood can cure illness? Nice regrets are actually blatant excuses. So let's kind of go through some of these excuses. The first one. I brought a piece of ground and I must go see it. Listen, the piece of ground represents the cares of this world in verse 18. And let me ask a question. Why would anyone buy a piece of land without seeing it first? Why would anyone... Go to see the land or the ground that they purchased at night. You see, this really actually entails or embodies the love of the world and the things in it. He says, "I brought some earth, I brought some ground. I brought something that pertains to this world, and, and it's so important that, that I need to attend to it, even at night, because your feast and your banquet really doesn't mean much to me." First John 2:15, it says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them." What about the second excuse? I brought five yokes of oxen, and I'm going to test them. This represents the deceitfulness of riches. And here's some questions to ask. Who buys an oxen or anything without testing it first? And again, who tests the ox at night at the time of this big party? And again, this embodies the love of riches and really the selfishness of riches. It says, I brought a yoke of oxen and they're going to make me rich. So you know what? I really don't have time for no banquet. I really got no time for this. I'm gonna put these oxen to work and make me some money. The last excuse. Well, I just got married and I can't make it to the party. It represents the pleasures of life. Who gets married After accepting an invitation to a banquet. If you're already committed to going to a banquet or some kind of a party, why would you plan a wedding on the day of the party? And and here's another thing. Why not, if you are married, why not bring your wife to the party? Why not go as a couple and, and, and enjoy the banquet? You see, the real, the real issues here with these excuses is it's all real camouflage. They're designed to hide the true intentions of their heart. And the whole goal is that they want to remain friends at the end of the excuse without making the other person feel bad. And that's really the heart of, a, of, a, of an excuse. Who knows what these so-called friends actually hold In their heart toward the host. Their life apparently trumps everything else. It's my world and you're in it. Funny thing, the excused, it says that they will later look in and be upset that the cripple and the lame and the wheelchair bound and everybody else is rolling to the party and they are not there. And then they are the ones that begin to criticize. Hey, wait a minute. How is it that This person is at the party. How is it that that person is being so blessed? How is it that that person is eating choice delicacies and receiving the gifts from the master's table and me, who I had officially received an invitation, and now they're in my place? What's going on? The host must have lost his mind and they become haters and they start making a a fuss about everybody. But well, let me tell you, they hesitated when they received. And I have an old little saying, he who hesitates eats alone on his dates. Hallelujah. That was a joke, praise God. <laughs> Crash and burn. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why is it that no one just told the truth? How about that for a concept? Listen, I can't make it because I just don't want to go. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't have a reason. I just don't want to go. The excuse one day will become beggars themselves. And the Lord says he will refuse them. They won't eat one morsel of that banquet unless they repent. Matthew twenty-one thirty-two. Jesus is speaking. He says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, You did not afterward relent and believe him. You know what? It makes me think of three root causes of sin. Listen to what John says. 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father but of the world. And in this verse right here, the root of every sin... At the root of every sin is one of these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And thank God that when Jesus was in the wilderness, he overcame all three to let us know that because he overcame, you too can overcome. Jesus wasn't angry because they didn't go to the dinner. But Jesus was angry because he saw the condition of their heart. He saw the intent of their heart. They never wanted to go. Their motive was skewed. They were fake. They were posers. They were imposters. Benjamin Franklin has said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Ouch, hallelujah, I ain't getting no amens on that one. Praise God. Let me ask you a question. How good is your word this morning? How good is your word to others? And how important is your word to yourself? Saints of God, this is the one place that we can all, all grow from. We cannot make excuses. We have to make good on our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5, 37. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Let me tell you a little bit of of, of what God's word says in Psalm 138, 2. It says that his word is above his name. For his name is only as good as his word. God magnifies his word above his name. If your word is good, then, then your name is good. If your word is no good, then your name is no good. Can people rely on your word when you say, hey man, I'll be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'll be there. You can count on me. Is your word reliable? Do you honor your own word? We're in a a time now where you can't even have a business uh, deal with anybody. Long gone are the days where there was a handshake business deal. Because people don't keep their word. And not only that, even if you enter into a contract, the contract is only as good as the character of the people signing the contract. Because if their character is no good, their word is no good, and then the contract is no good. Because they'll find a lawyer to get a loophole and to get them out of the contract. God's word must be. The sole source of our faith and the absolute rule of our conduct, right? Matthew 4.4. A man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If God's word is not paramount, if God doesn't have lordship in your life, then Jesus Christ himself is really not your Lord. Cults are formed by taking portions of the Word and making it conform to their lifestyle, to their agenda. And we're supposed to conform our life to the Word of God and not the other way around. When you honor God's Word, you will begin to honor your own Word and others will honor your Word. Let me talk about the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to say this just quickly. There's a master who's going away on a long journey. And he has three servants. And he says, listen, I'm going to be away. But while I'm away, I'm going to leave you certain talents. Let's use the word talent as money. I'm going to leave one, five talents. Let's say $500. The other, I'll leave two or $200. And the last, I'll give you one or $100. Right? In a manner which we could apply for today. And he goes, and I want you to take these funds and invest them. Turn them over. Make it work. So that you could multiply, increase the money that has been given to you. And then the all three servants, one of them, uh, actually two of them, went out and reproduced. The one who was given five made five more. The one who was given two made two more. The one who had been given one, what he did is he buried his talent or the money, underneath his tent and didn't do anything with it. So the master comes back and he looks at the one with the five talents. He says, listen, I've come back from this journey. What have you done? The the guy with five, he says, master, you gave me five. Here's five more. That's it. No talking. Here, you have five, five more. The one that had two, here, you gave me two. Here's two more. The guy that had one talent, he goes, well, here comes. Well, I know that you're a hard taskmaster and I know that if I would have messed up and lost any of that money, you would have had me whipped and flogged and maybe even thrown in prison. So I was terrified of doing anything with that money. But don't you worry because I kept it safe and sound. Look, it's here right underneath my tent. When you gave it to me, I ran immediately to my tent, dug a hole in the ground, buried it in the ground so that nobody but me would know that it was there. And now here it is safe and sound. What did the master say to him? You wicked, wicked, evil servant. You could have at least put the money in the bank so we would have collected interest while I was gone. But you did absolutely nothing with the things that I have given you. And he says, you know what? Take from the guy that has one and give it to the guy that has ten. Ten. And put it in him. And he goes, and you depart from me where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell you something. Proverbs ten nineteen. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Let me tell you, when there's all this talk, 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 there's a monkey on the line somewhere. There's something wrong. Because our work, our deeds, should, should speak for themselves. If you're a good employee at work, your work should speak for itself. You should work as unto the Lord. They should look at you and say, wow, you're amazing. Well, all I'm doing is just doing my job. No, you've exceeded my expectations. You see, when you're an honorable, integrous worker, you would even have favor from your boss. They'll promote you. They'll give you raises. They'll give you special treatment. But when you make excuses, I can't come in, it's too late, it's too early, it's too hot in here, it's too cold in here. I wish somebody would would do this or do that. You know, and you have a suggestion box and you're always the one putting in the suggestions. God wants us to stop that nonsense. Amen. Let me talk a little bit about dreamers. 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 We all know dreamers. These are the ones that have all these dreams. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to get a college degree. I'm going to start a major corporation. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then you ask them one very practical question. How do you plan on doing that? Uh, uh, a a a hum and a humming, a humming, a humming. Hum they'd start pulling a ralph cramden on you everybody that that has dreamed there's nothing wrong with dreaming praise god but we gotta have a plan Amen. a lack of a plan is a plan of lack look at what he, what uh, ecclesiastes 5 says it says walk prudently When you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity. And the fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Hallelujah. Many words, excuses, deceit. John eight forty four. It says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, there's an old uh, quote from Dr. Ed Cole. He says, a half-truth is a whole lie. Kids... They're gone, hallelujah. They're with Pastor Daisy. But for the young people in the room, when, when you tell half of the story, guess what? You're lying. Praise God. When you're not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, God. And you leave out one little detail. You have just lied to your parents. And, and saints of God, if you're telling your boss... A little bit of the truth but you're not telling them the whole truth then guess what you too have lied and the Bible says liars shall have their part in the lake of fire this is serious and it's these little things you know even when the phone rings and and your wife is going no 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 and you're looking right at her and the phone rings yeah I'd like to speak with Francis Feliciano uh, oh no she's not here right now Can I take a message? That's called a lie. And we do it. We get get this. We we, we can't do these things. The, The lies are, anyone who's lying is running with the enemy. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Nobody wants to hear that. But that's what the word of God says. I just read it. I said this in, in, a, in a funny, just uh, manner on Wednesday, but I was telling the ladies when we made the announcements, you know, the women's conference is coming up. It's going to be Saturday through Monday. And I told the ladies, please, you've got between now and July to get the Monday off. Don't call on Monday morning and go, <laughs> <laughs> I can't make it to work. And then you go to the chapel in the women's chapel. Hallelujah. Jesus, because I made it. Hallelujah. I'm here. woo child! I'm here worshiping God. Yeah, right? That's called a lie. Hallelujah. Tell the truth, man. Get the day off. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's go here. Flattery. Flattery is simply disguised... Hostility. Flattering lips sink ships. Hallelujah. Job 17.5, it says, He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children, shall fail. Serious. The Hebrew word for flattery is called shalek or kalek, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Kalek. And it has a twofold meaning. It means that it's smoothness and it also means pray. P-R-E-Y. Not pray as in you're praying to God. But pray. P-R-E-Y. He that delivers up his friends as pray. When someone flatters you, they're really trying to be you. Or they're really hating on you. Or it could be a whole bunch of other things. But when someone uses flattery on you, Beware. They are trying to break down your defense mechanisms. They're trying to tear down the wall. And it's only to sabotage you in the end. I I like to say flattery is really the act of sharpening the knife that is about to be stuck in your back at any moment. Let me give you an interesting example of a banquet in Acts chapter 13. It says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn now to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. The intended guests of this party, again, were the Jewish people of that day. They were the ones that had been given the invitation and God knew that they would reject it. And he opened the way for the Gentiles to receive him and join the feast. Thank you, Lord. This is a prophetic word that extends the kingdom of God to everyone in the entire world. It reaches to the lowest places to, to reach the, the people with the gospel. Let me give you some really important verses that you should put in your Bible. Highlight them. They're very important. Romans 11.11. 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Did you know that we are to provoke the Jewish nation to jealousy? And you will say, how do we do that? There's an answer to that question. You know how you provoke them to jealousy? How about this, starting out by saying, thank you. Thank you because your people were able to bring the Word of God to me, Somehow I was able to read the Holy Word of God and it came through your forefathers. It came through your country, through your people. And because of it, I met God for myself. I met him and he speaks to me and I speak to him and he hears my voice and I hear his voice and he answers my prayer. He heals me from all my afflictions. He blesses me. There's favor on my life and, and it's because of you that I have met God. God, thank you. They're gonna be wait a minute. You you hear God's voice? You speak to the Lord? You, he speaks back to you, he answers your prayers. Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. And you provoke them to jealousy and it starts the conversation. We've gotten it wrong for so long. The Christian brethren, they're like, Oh, your people rejected him. You think you're going to win somebody by, by, by that? Here, Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Look what this verse says. I do, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now, we're in the seventh church age. There's a pause in the stopwatch. And and the Daniel, 483 years in Daniel, we are paused. And we're about to be unpaused. The rapture of the church. And then the great tribulation. And then the people of Israel will finally fall on their face and would recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And then we will be with the Lord forevermore. Hallelujah. Here in the new millennial kingdom. Romans 11 32 through 34, it says, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Let me tell you, two times in the book of Luke, it says, Bring the maimed, bring the lame, bring the poor, bring the blind. In other words, bring the unperfect people, bring the blemished people, bring the broken people, bring the, the, the drug addict, bring the pimp, bring the dealer, bring the prostitute, bring, bring the bum, bring the alcoholic, bring everybody, bring the prodigals, bring the outcast, the rejected, the abandoned, the lonely, bring them all. There's room at my table for you. The gospel is for the sinner. The gospel are for people with sinful conditions, the spiritually poor, poor in spirit, poor in hope, poor in joy, poor in peace, poor in direction, spiritually bankrupt, those that have rags, those that are naked, those that are needy. The gospel is for you The gospel is for those that are spiritually maimed, that have no direction, can't pick up the word, can't grab hold of the truth. They have deformities, they're hideous, they're debilitated by sinful lifestyle, and they've been ripped and maimed. The Bible, the gospel is for you. Hallelujah. The Bible is for those that are spiritually lame, those that are unbalanced, that can't move in the spirit, those that can't walk in the spirit, those that are spiritually immobile, those that are codependent, those that are weakened by the sinful nature, weakened by the state of sin in their life. They're lame. They can't walk. They can't do anything. They can't go anywhere. The gospel is for you. Those that are spiritually blind, without vision, that can't see the truth, even if it slapped them in the face. Hallelujah. Those that have zero discernment. Those that can only see darkness. Those that are blind to God. The gospel is for you. And those that have allowed themselves to be led to the feast, those that didn't make excuses, those are the ones that will be seated at the master's table. Those are the ones that are going to feast on the delicacies of God. Those are the ones that are going to receive the love of Christ. Those are the ones that are going to become part of a community, part of of being a joint heir, part of, of the people that sit at the master's table. They will be given a place of honor. There's a little boy. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And the Lord just wants me to go here. It's not even on my notes. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And, and David made a covenant with Jonathan. And he says, listen, as long as I'm king, the house of Jonathan will always have a place of honor. You, and when David finally got back to the kingdom, he said, where's Jonathan? Well, Jonathan died. And he says, is there anyone left from the house of Jonathan? And there was a little kid. His name was Mephibosheth. And he was born. And, and at like four or five years old, his nurse Was running and dropped him. And he landed in such a way that he became paralyzed from his waist down. And he became lame. And because David kept covenant with him, he says, listen... Go and find this kid, Mephibosheth, and bring him to the king's palace because for the rest of his life, I don't care if he wants to or not, but he is going to be brought into the covenant. He's going to eat at the king's table. He will live here to the day he dies because I'm going to honor my covenant with Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was all lame and crippled. And they picked him up. They took him off of his bed. And they picked him up. And they brought him right back to the city of Jerusalem. And they brought him into the king's palace. And he said, put a robe on them. Put a ring on his finger. Put a crown on his head. This is a prince. And he's going to be seated at my table every single night. Wounded and forsaken... Broken, and he thought, this is it, my life is over. But God had mercy. The king had mercy. God has mercy on you today. The state, your condition, whatever it is, God has mercy on you. He says, there's still room for more. There's still room at my table. The Lord said to the servant, compel them to come in. To compel, it means that we're being forced. He said, force them, drag them in, pull them in, get them in here any way possible. Grab them, bring them into the family. The lowly, unfortunate people, they must have felt like, I'm not ready for a feast. I'm not dressed for a feast. I stink, I haven't been able to bathe. I don't even have a bathroom in which to take a bath. Are you sure this invitation is for me? Does he know who I am? Does he know the dirt? Does he know the skeletons in my closet? Does he know my reputation? It it disqualifies me. Are you sure he's got the right person? And he says, come, just the way you are. Come, with all your hang-ups, come. We must never forget that we didn't choose God. He chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name that he may give you. Romans 8.30, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, and whom he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, those he also glorified. When Jesus Hung on the cross, he was saying, I love you this much. you, you, You are invited this morning to the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In fact, you are the guest of honor. Will you be there or will you choose to make excuses? The trouble with always leaving yourself a way out is that you always take it. Every vice has his excuse already. Bad men excuse their faults. Good men abandon them. Amen. Church, no more excuses. Hallelujah. God bless you this morning. Amen. Praise the living God.
0: We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. You are all in our prayers. We're able to bring this radio ministry to you because of the generous support of listeners like you. If you've been blessed by today's program, please consider partnering with us with a love offering of any amount. Visit our website, specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. That's specchurch.net or call us at 845-342-9989. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday soon. We thank you for your prayers and support. God bless you.